0: You're listening to the Sermon Cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at FPCSpartenberg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. I don't know if you could see it, but there was one young person who for the children's moment came sprinting down the center aisle and made his way to get a front row seat. I love that energy. I think that's the kind of energy God desires our hearts to have as we approach the Scriptures. Our text today comes from John's Gospel. To understand a little bit better where we are when we pick up in the 10th chapter, it's important to recognize that the story that we are basing ourselves in with these verses is really one that begins in the chapter before At the beginning of chapter 9 in John's gospel, we are introduced to a man who we are told has been blind since birth. And Jesus concocts this, this mud cake and puts it on his eyes, and when he washes in the pool, he is healed. It is an amazing miracle in the Gospels, and yet it is one that puts the man and Jesus into conflict with the religious authorities. They're not too sure that they feel all that comfortable with someone who is capable of something like that. And so there is this dialogue that ensues where the authorities are questioning the man who has been healed and they cast the man out from his community. They throw him out of town quite literally. And it's there on the outside of town where he encounters Jesus again, and another dialogue ensues between the man Jesus and more religious authorities. And it delivers us into these first 10 verses of John chapter 10, where Jesus is speaking to a small group of disciples and Pharisees and the man who has been healed. So let us listen now for a word from God as we hear these verses from John chapter 10, beginning with the first verse. Jesus speaks saying, very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep, they hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep, they follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for all the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled The Abundant Life. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, we pray that the abundance of your mercy might overflow its bounds and spill down once more into this space. Through the work of your spirit, O God, the abundance of your love might stir deep in our hearts And that through its work, the words of my my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, O God, would be abundantly glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a lot of imagery packed into these 10 verses, isn't there? Some of it a little confusing, others a little bit conflicting. We have, of course, the imagery of the sheep and shepherd, something that is known to many. It's it's common, especially to John's gospel, that particular motif. But then we keep reading and we get this other imagery of a gate and a gatekeeper. We hear Jesus invoking terms and titles like thieves and bandits Stealing, destroying, killing. We hear of voices that can be trusted and voices that should not be trusted. It's kind of difficult, isn't it, for us to fully comprehend what exactly we're supposed to focus in on here. One option, of course, would be to sit with each of those images and try and parse out what they are all saying individually and how they work together. But, you know, the longer I sat with the text this week, the more, the more I began to think that perhaps all of those images are really trying to funnel our attention down. Funnel our attention down until our eye rests on that one particular line. That one line where Jesus says plainly what it is he is thinking. That one line where all those other images and metaphors are stripped bare. That line where Jesus speaks to the crowd saying, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly nowhere else in the gospels one commentator notes does jesus more clearly express the mission and the intent of his ministry i came that they may have life and have it abundantly notice the tense of jesus speech here Jesus doesn't say, I came that they may one day have life and have it abundantly. Nor does Jesus say, I came that they had life and had it abundantly. No, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? Jesus is speaking of life here, not just in the future, nor only life in the past. Jesus is speaking about life in the here and in the now. Jesus is speaking about a life that is before us in the present. Think again about the story of the blind man that leads us into these verses. Jesus doesn't just restore his sight in that story, does he? No, he also restores his independence, his freedom. He restores the opportunities that are in front of that man and available to him right here and right now. That is what Jesus came to give. Jesus came to release that blind man, yes, but also each of us of everything that seeks to kill or destroy or rob us of God's intentions for us. Jesus came to give us life. To give us life abundant. So today we're Finishing five weeks of officer training. Some of you might recall last month early on the congregation gathered following this service and elected new deacons and elders. These are members of the congregation who have been nominated and then elected by the whole congregation to serve as leaders in our midst, to provide for the care of the congregation and for the spiritual leadership of it. Ever since that Sunday, we've been gathering each Sunday for a time of training for the past five weeks. We'll finish today, and we have been studying things like our theology, things like our governance. We've been studying what it means to to be called and to live into that calling as officers, Last Sunday, Elder D. Calvert came and shared some about the history of our church with our new officers. Anytime someone is asked to lead an organization into the future, I think it's important for that group to also know where we have come from in the past, right? So D. came and he shared some about our 180 years of history as a church. And what I was struck by most as he spoke were the fingerprints of God's abundance that are all across this congregation's history. Did you know that for the first 16 years that First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg existed, we did not have an installed pastor? 16 years, y'all just came through what, like a year, year and a half of pastor transition? Can you imagine 16 years of that? And yet across those 16 years, God provided leaders in the form of people just like you out in the pews as well as other pastors from neighboring congregations and neighboring cities. And since then, there have been 16 now installed senior pastors of this church. This congregation has occupied four different campuses throughout the city of Spartanburg. And from this church, five other worshiping communities have been planted, both within the city limits and outside of the city limits. God's abundance is woven into the very fabric of this congregation, but the thing that stuck with me the most from Dee's presentation was his sharing about two particular people in the history of First Presbyterian. The first is a name that will be familiar to many. There is a fund that is designated for the assistance of the needy in our community that is named after him, as well as a room here in our main campus. Resa Purnell was a Harvard-trained Mississippian businessman. He spent much of his life in his native Mississippi and did quite well for himself. And at some point in his early 40s, he sensed this overwhelming sense of call to go and give himself to Christian ministry full-time. And he found himself eventually here in Spartanburg. And for 30 years, he served as a pastoral assistant, which meant he helped in worship leadership and in some of the administrative tasks of the church. But where he really poured his time and energy and gifts was into the care and to the nurturing of the congregational life of this place. Reza made a point of visiting every shut-in in the community, in the church, at least once a quarter, four times per year. He visited every member of the church twice per year. And every single day for 30 years, Reza Purnell went to the hospital to visit the ill and the sick. For 30 years, it said that a moving truck never arrived in Spartanburg during that time where he was not waiting for it at the curb to greet the new family. For 30 years, he gave himself to the work of ministry in this place. We'll come back to Rasa just one minute. The other name that Dee spoke about was a name that again will be familiar to some here, the name Francis Clark. Our education building right here behind us off Chestnut is named after Francis. It's the Clark Education Building. Raisa served for 30 years. Francis served for almost 50 years. She began in 1923, retired in 1970. And for those 50 years, she served five different pastors, I think, as the aide to the pastor She served as the financial secretary for the church. She served as the assistant superintendent of Sunday school for the church. But she had a particular heart for young people. She loved to teach children, but also to go with youth when they reached that point in their confirmation journey where our youth go before the session, the governing body of the church to be confirmed. She would go with the youth so that she could be present to give the stink eye to any elders who might be tempted to give those teenagers a hard time. She was so involved in the life of the church that it is said there was one child who was talking with her one day, not realizing who she was. And when it dawned on the child who he was talking to, he said, oh, you're the lady that runs the church. (laughs) The thing that struck me most, though, as I sat and listened to Dee present about our history and about those two individuals in particular was the fact that neither of them Had the title Reverend in front of their name. Neither of them had gone off to seminary to receive special education for the work that they were called to. Neither of them had been picked out by someone and said, You must do this. These were just regular people, like any of us, who knew something of God's abundance in their own lives. And who in turn sought to share it with others. Some might even say they sought to celebrate God's abundance with those around them. You know, I love our stewardship theme this year. Vic is going to come and speak about it in a few minutes. But it's this theme that is based on this text from John chapter 10. Our theme is celebrating God's abundance. And there's so much to celebrate about God's abundance in our church today, right? Our worship is alive, our mission is active, our fellowship is rich, our learning is happening. There is so much for us to celebrate, but what the blind man in John 9, what Raisa Purnell, what Francis Clark, what they all teach us is that God's abundance is not something to be hoarded, It's not something to be locked up. It's not something to grab a hold of when we find it and to then keep it to ourselves. No, God's abundance is meant to be shared. Right, another way of thinking about our theme this year might be rather than saying celebrating God's abundance, it could be sharing God's abundance. Because a church that celebrates God's abundance Is a body of believers who says, Listen, we may not be able to heal your physical blindness, but we can offer the kind of community that will reveal the landscape of God's love on your heart. We may not be able to fill that void in your life, that deep chasm that light seems yet to have reached. But we can offer you fellow believers who will sit with you in the grief and in the dark places. Right, We may not be able to take away that anxiety, that shame, that anguish that you are living with, but we can embody a love that will always tell you, you are not alone in it. We may not be able to solve all of your problems or all of the world's problems, but we can offer you a space and indeed a community that can feed you a warm meal when you need it a community that can offer a listening ear when you feel like there's no one else to hear. We can offer you dignity. We can offer you belonging. You know, ever since we came up with this theme many months ago of celebrating God's abundance, the image I have not been able to shake is the image of a party Like the kind of party with a party hat and let's celebrate on it. Maybe like a kazoo and some confetti coming out. right? This image of celebrating God's abundance seems worthy of a party. But the amazing thing that Jesus reveals to us here in John's gospel is that the kind of party we're throwing is not an invite only one. This is not the kind of party where we clear out Fogarty Hall like we do on Wednesday nights and roll out the tables and only invite those who happen to hear about it. Only invite those who are already part of this community. No, this is the kind of party where we go out and shut down East Main Street. Chris Story, our city manager, was in the morning song service. He said, maybe we can do this someday. You shut down East Main Street. Right, and you set up one big long table that stretches from pine all the way down to church. A church that celebrates God's abundance, throws a party out there in the middle of the road with one giant table that goes out and says, all are welcome. Come and join us in the celebration. Come because here you have a place because there is enough to go around. Right? The kind of party that we are celebrating in our stewardship as a church is the kind of party that says, Come, yes, and give of your time and your talent and your treasure, but recognize why you're doing it. You're doing it because we are called to a life of abundance, a life of sharing that which God has already shared. With us. I came that they may have life, Jesus says. Life abundant. I went back after our officer training last Sunday and I opened the book that was put together for our 150th church anniversary back in the 90s, and I was rereading the sections on Raisa Purnell and Francis Clark. And the thing that stuck out to me in Raysa Purnell's was something I'm not sure we talked about in our time together as officers. It was this acknowledgement of the fact that Raisa Purnell died very suddenly. It was January 11th, 1957. But the book noted what he had spent the day before doing. Can anyone guess? He was out there. <laughs> the whole day long on January 10th, Raysa Purnell was visiting the shut-ins. He was meeting the moving trucks. He was walking the halls of the hospital. Right. It made me reflect on the fact that, that the abundant life that Raisa Purnell came face to face with on January 11th, it was nothing new to him, was it? It was the same life that he had glimpsed and known and lived and shared every day of his 70-some years before. Friends, may we know that life too. May we have that life abundant too. But most importantly, may we share it. Right? May we go out from this place celebrating God's abundance. Not just tomorrow. Not just yesterday. But right now. Here. Today. May we share the abundant love that Jesus Christ places into our hands and into our hearts, even now. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. Amen.